Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. About a week or two ago, one of my friends was doing a live podcast and had mentioned that she had a stack of books that she wanted to go through and that she wanted to have discussions on on her podcast, Bookish, The Canon Continues. And so she held up a book and it's called Sex, God, and Rock and Roll. And obviously you put Danielle out there, you know I'm going to gravitate towards the sex topic. And so while she was doing the live video, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, want, I want that book. I want that book. I want to read that book with you. And so I ordered the book right away. And oh God, I couldn't put it down. It was so amazing. Like Barry Taylor, he came up with ACDC. So he was a part of their like band crew when they were first coming up. And so as they were transitioning to this global superstardom, he was a part of that. And from there, he has been all over arts. He has been all throughout entertainment. He has danced into the theological circles, even going so far as to being an affiliate professor of theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. He is an art instructor at the Art Center College of Design, where he teaches on advertising and consumer culture. He lives in London now, but he spent three decades in California. His outlook on life is so unique, as all of ours are, but he wrote this book, and honestly, I couldn't put it down. There were so many topics that we did not discuss that I'm hoping to talk about with somebody else at the very least to kind of work out some of these theological presentations that he leaves you to chew on um, throughout the book. And what's really beautiful is he makes his hunger very well known. And I I shared with him, and I can share with you, that over the weekend that I had tried LSD for the first time. And that was one of the things that I had noticed as a sensation, a very strong sensation that I was feeling, was this overwhelming hunger and thirst that I could not quench. And when I stopped and acknowledged it and became aware that this was the feeling that I was feeling, this desire that I had, it really made me pause and just kind of take this reflective look on my entire life and realize that we all have this hunger and this thirst to be satisfied. It, it guides us. It's our desires. And we don't know what it is. And that's part of the conversation that unfolds between Barry and I is we're aware of that hunger, but where does it take us? And what he says in his book is that that hunger takes him to a recovery and a discovery, a recovery of what he's known all along, what he's held within him, and a discovery of everything he doesn't know. And what a succinct way to summarize what life is about. Recovery and discovery, right? And if we look at that from other angles, we consider healing and, and from suffering and healing of wounds. We're always going through these transformations, um, 
And he talks about the importance of destabilization, otherwise known as deconstruction. It differs a lot to Derrida and Lacan. And so much great philosophy is packed within this book. So many great theological angles that I hadn't really been formally introduced to that he laid out in such a beautiful and and, and mythical and in seductive way that it just kind of invited me to be so content with realizing I don't know what I want and I really don't know a whole lot about anything and to kind of find that that contentment if you will with that awareness and once we can come to that how much can we enjoy life and how much can we also admit that sometimes we don't enjoy life and that's when we enter into these phases of darkness and you know there are so many different words for it a shadow period a reflection of meditation of death of transformation likened to paul and the scaled eyes and you know what's really interesting is during my trip I had an overwhelming presence of snakes and snake skin and shedding of skin and scaly eyes and darkness. And I was humbled by it. And I was confident in acknowledging it without fear. And it was such an amazing experience to go that deep inside yourself and to see that it's okay to be uncertain and it's okay to have doubts and the confidence that I felt in surrendering to those feelings. They wrap you up in a silk. And anyway, I'm rambling because I'm fresh from this journey and I'm still unpacking everything that I felt. Anyway, on to the conversation. I am just, I'm really honored. I was so and, I, and I've said this before, I get overwhelmed. So y'all listen to me. I like, there are so many people that I have such a regard for and so many people I respect and so many people have influenced just kind of a changing of my mind. And I, I get really insecure and um, very worried that just upon inviting them, they're just going to say no, because who the hell am I? I'm a nobody, you know? But the funny thing is, is we're all a nobody. So I, I'm trying to work on that, but I was just, I was overwhelmed and I was super excited and I did a little happy dance and, you know, kind of gave myself a little confidence boosting pep talk too, because I was just really glad how quickly he responded to me and he had such a willingness to come on and, and, and share this vulnerable story of darkness and transformation and understanding and awareness into consciousness. So I just, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I'd love to hear your feedback on this. I got great feedback on the Polyamorous Heaven episode, and so thank you for that. And I have more great content headed your way, and I just want to say, hey, uh, I appreciate you, lovely listeners. And as always, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of Barry Taylor. Enjoy the episode.
sexuality and the impossibility of sex. I saw that on, was that on your secret philosopher's society website? Uh, that was something else that we did. This is, I, 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 oh, okay. I do this online learning platform uh, called H and Co. And we do courses on there. Oh, that sounds interesting. Four weeks of theology and sex from purity culture and all of that bullshit. For <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. And all of that bullshit. That's awesome. All right. So I just roll into things. I've already started recording. I just want to have an organic flow here and have a conversation. But there's so many amazing things I want to talk to you about from your book, Sex, God, and Rock and Roll. And first thing I want to start with is that I, I couldn't dismiss as obvious was the darkness, but the embracement of the darkness, but the melancholy and the suffering and the pain, you have such an awareness of it and an appreciation for it. And so one of the things that really, really stood out to me was when you wrote, I have dark days when the seductive lure of nothingness intoxicates me. And that resonated with me so deeply because I love getting lost in those dark moments because it helps me appreciate the light more. So can you tell me just a little bit about the darkness and why you decided to embrace it? Such a well, big I, question, I, I, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it took us sort of a while to come to terms with it. I mean, you know, they, could, they, I mean, they, could, they used to call melancholy the English disease. And so um, I think I always grew up, I grew up always with that kind of weird occasional brain cloud that would just sort of descend, like for no, for no real reason. And for the longest time, I, I, I think I just wanted to um, like not, not be that way because I would, I, I'd sort of find it really oppressive and because I, I couldn't, locate it and it really wasn't until I started going really to um, therapy and particularly analysis and started reading Freud and stuff like that and, and kind of working out the difference particularly the difference between like mourning and melancholy you know and, and you know that melancholy has no object so it's this feeling that comes over you and stuff and and, and real and, and also sort of coming to terms with the fact that darkness is just a part of our our existence i mean you know i mean to be really sort of blunt you know there's there's no day without night <laughs> you know there's no mm -hmm. you know we have light because we understand what darkness is you, you know what i mean and 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 so i think and and sort of becoming aware of um the conflicted nature of what it means to be a human and i think for a lot for a while um in, in my middle years, when I was heavily involved in particular forms of Christianity that were essentially largely focused on kind of, I guess, perfectionism or always, you know, being on the right side of everything and, and having very little room for, for darkness. And I don't, I, I don't mean like demonic dance, darkness. I, I mean, just darkness, the, the, the complexity of, of what it means to be human. You know, you, you, it's kind of this one dimensional focus on why you should be, you know, thankful, happy, grateful every single moment of the day. And, and, and I appreciate that, but that's just not a reality. You know, yeah. we, don't, we don't live in that 
we don't live in that world. And, and, and so um, just through a, a, a period of time, I just began to realize, A, that probably melancholy is something that I'm never going to shake off. In fact, to be quite honest, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, <laughs> hello. You know, it's like this yeah. thing that just sort of drops in from nowhere. And you can spend an awful lot of time trying to work out where it's coming from. And sometimes you can. But, but I just decided that it was time to go, okay, this is a part, this actually makes up part of me. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, and, and I've learned to, to manage it because there have been moments where it's felt actually quite overwhelming. And, and I've sort of really had to put myself in, in, in places where I kind of was aware that if I didn't kind of take some steps, you know, things, things could get ugly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I don't mean to be trite about that, but, but, you know, um, so I, I, I'm sensitive to um, the darkness that, that um, is, a, is in my, in my world and, and in my life, but really it was just going, yeah, this is what it means to be human. It's part of the dimension of the human experience. Not everybody perhaps is, melancholy um, in the way that I am, but, but we all have our share of dark moments and dark yeah. times. And, um, and I think, I, you know, maybe it was just, I, I, I just, I'm, and part of it was also resistance to the cultural pressure to be happy all the fucking time. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm no, to no we swear on this podcast. Yes, it's all good. Uh, yeah, that was one of the one of the <laughs> I actually left out was uh, swearing, and I don't know why I did because it's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, I just the the cultural pressure always to be uh, up and happy. Yes. Yeah, you know? and in America, it's the pursuit of happiness, and I yeah. always say, but that's such a bunch of bullshit well, it's not even the truth of uh, of that statement but yeah I, I did i did this thing once in uh los angeles i did an event with some friends called against optimism <laughs> <laughs> it was it wasn't like just a, 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 it wasn't meant to be uh, ironic it was actually really um a, a a statement that the happiness industry is a an industry yeah B, it creates a false pressure in people's lives that doesn't make room for the full breadth of uh, humanity. I agree. And, and I think, you know, when you feel bad about your dark times or your dark moments, that's when you're the most vulnerable to it. When you mm -hmm. can be open and go, yeah, sometimes I feel really rubbish. And sometimes yeah. I don't know what to do with this. And sometimes I kind of... I don't, re I don't think I ever revel in it, but I know what it is now. So, yeah. and I know that sometimes uh, things come from it that maybe wouldn't come some other way. I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't prescribe it to anybody and say, oh, you should, yeah. you know, nice dose of melancholy, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, t I get that. Yeah, I, um, same for me. I notice a pattern of, of, and it's particularly autumn. And I think a lot of that just has to do with the farming schedule and the yeah. absence of my husband and the labor that's required and just the death of the season and all of it. 
but I had come to resent the impending autumn and it sucked because it was my favorite time of the year too. And I just lost all appreciation for it. But I did start to look at it in this different sense of this is a darkness for me and my mentality and for preparation and out of it. And I do get locked up in it and I know it, what it is, but I kind of am like, this is just my shitty phase right now. You're just going to have to deal with it. I deal with it, but so much does blossom out of that even before the spring. And so it's something yeah. that I think more people should be willing to, I always feel like people are scared to admit they have sorrowful times or experience melancholy or just temporary depression. I mean, in Minnesota, especially, and maybe you experience this too, we have darkness for six months. How can we not yeah. fall into some sort of- The funny thing, eh. the, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. The funny thing is, you know, um, I, I lived in, uh, California for you know much of my adult life where it's always sunny but you know so I, I don't think I have like seasonal melancholy because if I do it's precipitated by by sunshine <laughs> <laughs> actually I kind of like gloomy weather and rain I, yeah. I kind of like that kind of gothic you know gloom that it doesn't bother me so much but but I but I do think that um you know th that that's the thing though you know there are the external markers that bring certain kinds of melancholy or darkness mm -hmm. just you know sorrow into your life and then there are those inexplicable moments that have no rhyme or reason that you could you know they just well up from your unconscious for yeah. whatever reason and you can't you can't find it and i think that's what i came to terms with that, that i don't know that i'll ever find like the root the real root cause of what what that is. Um, yeah. I get, you get hints, you know, and, and obviously there are things that happen in life that, that make you sad and sorrowful, but but there's also that thing that just, it just happens. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and you know, and I, I, usually people go, well, what happened? And I'm like, well, nothing. I just woke up this way. Yeah. You know, and it's just like that sometimes, but, um, it's like that song, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. Yeah. I, mean, they're, they're, I mean, and that's the funny thing about it as well, is that, I mean, I, like I said, I don't revel in it, but it's a familiar ghost that haunts me now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, um, and there's a, a kind of, I wouldn't say we're, we're, I'm not necessarily friends with my darkness, but we're, we're nodding acquaintances. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, buy a, I can. I buy a drink in the pub, you know. Yeah, no, I get that too. And sometimes for me, it's like I will almost get so. I don't know if I get upset with myself, but I'm just like, and you really have no reason to feel this right now. What are you doing? Where yeah. did this come from? But it does bubble up from nowhere, and you're like, okay, I guess we're just gonna get through this and breathe. And I, I find that for me, just trying to be more quiet and silent and and reflective and maybe even additional meditation just helps mm. keep me from allowing that darkness to become something more foul to the people in my proximity so it yeah. doesn't like affect them somehow yeah. um so we go from this darkness but you also have these kind of uh, these radical nonconformist ideas and i really liked what Oops. you 
<laughs> you said about how we should take a clue from Dylan and play fucking loud. And that kind yeah. of also um, bends a little bit towards what you say later about Einstein saying that we have to find our own voice and not be an echo. Yeah. And there was just throughout your book, it was like your realization of the uniqueness of the individual and why that's so important. And there was something that really stuck out to me that I had been recognizing as of lately, I think just in the circles I was associating with. And it was that so many people end up just repeating what everybody else is saying yeah. and quietly playing along within this harmony instead of jamming out and fucking something up on the guitar or making some foreign sound like you pointed out in one of your chapters that these rare sounds are added into it but doing something different that people are looking at it with this newness and yeah. there's so much of the repetition going on that reading something like that is just like thank you somebody is finally saying something different and so i mean throughout your whole life you you've always been pushing against the status quo yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know why. Um, and again, I, on one level, I, I don't know that you should, I'd recommend it. But by the same token, um, I, I, I think, I mean, I don't think, I'm not one of those people that walks around going, oh, you're special. You know, I don't believe that. I don't believe, I don't yeah. believe that people ask. I, I think we're just, we're just human beings. I don't think anybody's really special. It's just, we, we have life and... Um, and I think part of the, the process of living is sort of being or at least coming close to who you want to be in life. And part of the obstacle of, uh, of life is that most of the people around you want you to be something else that they're, that they're comfortable with. You know, we're always figuring we can change one another. But um, I, I think very early on, I, I, I just felt that it was important to realize that um, you get one shot at life. I mean, as far as I can work out, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't really have much of a theory of an afterlife. I don't know. That's the best I can do. You know what I mean? Maybe. But, um, but for now, I, I, I figure you've got one life to live and... Uh, Therefore, it ought to uh, count. And there, there are, there are two, two enemies, <laughs> the enemies without and the enemy within. You know, you're, I think you're, we're our own biggest obstacle to the things that we want to see in our lives or do, do in our lives. And, and, and that story that I, I, I took from Dylan well, you read, you read the story, but it's a fairly famous one, you know, where he got called out and called a Judas when he switched from folk to electric. And after he got booed at a concert in England um, and somebody yelled Judas, he sort of turned around to his band and said, play fucking loud. And they turned up and played like a rolling stone. You, you know what I mean? And, 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 and I sort of took that as like a very, I mean, and I was already working on it, but to me, it was like a great metaphor that, you you have to sometimes betray others and yourself in order to become the person that you want to be because in some ways you know people were like you're a he was they called him a judas because he wasn't playing the music they wanted to hear anymore which mm -hmm. meant that essentially they didn't want him to be him they wanted him to be who he was 
for them. But that wasn't what Dylan wanted. What Dylan wanted was to keep betraying himself so that he could become more who he wanted to be. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. put, putting off selves, you know, um, over and over and over. So the switch to, um, you know, it's like, uh, I went to see him in Santa Barbara right before I left um, LA uh, three years ago. And uh, he, he played in this, in, in this kind of weird semicircle out of the spotlight in, in, in this kind of semicircle with the band, with a cowboy hat on. You couldn't see his face the whole time. He never moved to the front of the stage and he sang two songs that people recognized. The rest were like covers. And, and all these people in the audience were yelling out for all these other songs. He just didn't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, I mean, to me, I, I, I think in some ways, if, if you want to, if you want to experience like full on punk music, just go to a Dylan show because he will only give you what he wants to give you. And he really has no interest in catering to that. He doesn't want to betray himself in order to satisfy other people. And, and, um, and I, I betrayed myself for a long time. I was very kind of internal, shy, um, nervous about saying what I felt. And it cost me because I would not say, and I'd let myself get into situations that I didn't want to be in because I didn't know how to get out of them because to get out of them would mean saying what I really felt and that might cause people not to like me or hurt me or mm. you know, be upset with me and stuff like that. And, and so then what I would do was I would do something self-destructive so I could be the bad boy in the situation, you know what I mean? So it would all blow up. And then somehow that was better than just going, no, I don't want to do this. Or I don't, I don't, that's not who I am or that's not how I feel. And, and so, um, yeah, play loud. It's kind of, you, you kind of, and to me, that's the, it's the, the positive and neg negative act of betrayal. Yeah. Yeah, and we often aren't willing to do that. Like, do, no, especially, do you see that in music today that people are not well, playing I, fucking loud? <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, I mean, everybody's got their own sort of trip and, they, and, and, and it's hard for me, you know, you're never inside somebody else's head. Yeah, but agreed. You know the, there's an incredible amount of, pressure and it depends really what you want from life you know some people are quite happy to be uh, a sort of puppet for somebody else you know to mm -hmm. make music that somebody else gives them you know because they're happy making music you know not everybody's like um dylan or, or I, I don't know who who it would be you know you know what i mean I, I i mean i think as human beings we we all have to sort of work out what negotiations and trade-offs we're going to make with our our existence you know and there and and there are always compromises i mean dylan's still in the music business <laughs> you know there's there's still that you know there's still um stuff that that he does that probably he'd rather not do you know i mean i think he's probably in a position at this point where he can pretty much do whatever he wants but but uh, but uh, but i think it, it, it's always for me um and it's really funny because um, where, where that idea came from me, it happened very, very, uh, quite young, really. I read this biography of um, John Wesley, the preacher, mm -hmm. you know, the guy that founded Methodism yep. and stuff. 
And um, there was a, a, a story in there where um, he, he used to go around, he was well known for like preaching and he would travel around on horseback and give all these, these sermons and people would just sort of copy them and then repeat them. And he sent out this, I don't know if it was a letter or a missive or, or, or word to these fledgling communities and, and basically said, every person should strive to be a voice and not an echo. And I mean, that, that stuck with me for three or four decades. Yeah. You know, be a voice, not an echo. Um, and it's so, you know, we, and we live today in, in so many echo chambers, you know, Instagram and, yes. and you know, where the, the thing to do is to, you know, celebrate your uniqueness by being like everybody else. <laughs> and, I, and, and I don't, that's not even a judgment. It's just the, it, it's the it's nature the of fact the, and reality. The, yeah. What we deal with it. and the pressure is like, well, if you conform to this, you'll get what you want. Of course, you won't because you won't be true to yourself and it won't actually give you what you want. Never does, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, play loud. Yeah, nope, I hear that. I've, I've been um, under the wings of a couple of publisher houses who loved who I was until they didn't and then wanted me to be something different. And I was like, you know what? I don't really even need to write a book. I'm good. Thanks. Bye. Not doing it. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> but I, that's the norm I hear in the publisher housing houses too. But it is like that. It seems like if you're not willing to appease everybody, then yeah. you're going to get canceled or you're going to get canceled before you even become worth because anything canceling. Basically the drive is profit. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. I mean, and, and so again, Fair enough. If you're in the business of uh, making money off things and you've got your little formula for what you think will sell, but yeah. you know, um, you have to work out then, well, is that, is that what I want to do? And if it isn't, how am I going to do what, what I, what I want to do and what will that cost me? And I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm not that, I, I don't think I'm that brave. I, I just sort of reached a point where it was like, fuck it. I just can't do this anymore. It, it's, yeah. it's soul destroying. So um, I just try to go, all right. So what do I think about all these things? And why am I so afraid of saying it? There's a world full of stupid ideas. Mine can't be any, can't be that much more stupid. Maybe they are, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it might be dumb, but I'm putting it out there anyway. I don't care. Someone might like it. That's exactly. kind of how I go with it. I'm like, someone might like what I'm writing. So we'll see. Yeah. Every, um, who said everybody has to like it? Exactly. If I like it, it's good enough. So. It's, yeah. I mean, my theory is if everybody likes it, it's probably not that, that great. You know, I. But, but that's, you know, again. Yeah. That's true, to, though. It really is. I'm exactly like that, though. If everyone's like, you've got to see this movie, you've got to see this movie. I'm like, you know what? I think it's weird that you all want me to see the same movie or don't read that book. Don't read that book. It's horrible. Then it's like, well, and I don't know if that's just my nature to do the opposite of what you tell me to do, but yeah. I go with that. Yeah, um, <laughs> so your chapter on the other woman, I, so you pull apart this Luke verse, uh, Luke seven forty four, And I had never looked at it like that. And it was like, I read it for the first time that way. And it really stuck out to me. 
and it was when he, it was when um, uh, the Mary busts in when yeah, he's yeah. having dinner with Simon, and Simon's all like, "Oh, if he only knew what kind of trash was before him." Da 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 da, and he says, "Do you see this woman?" And it was like, "Oh, oh my God!" I never looked at it that way, but it was so on point for. What, what I always believe that Jesus is doing is pointing out that labels are irrelevant. Sure. And so the label blinds you to anything else about the person, because once you put a label on someone, that's all you see. And so that was just, that's exactly how I feel about labels. I reject labels. I don't want to identify by labels or be attached to them, but so many people can't not cling to those labels. Yeah, especially, unfortunately, um, in religious worlds, <laughs> which is the, the sort of real um, tragedy. And, and, and I, yeah, that story, you know, it's, it, it's so weird because, I mean, you know, I, I've been involved in Christianity for a long time. And it's funny how you read something and then you see something that you hadn't seen before. And it, and it wasn't, you know, it was the drama of it, you know, because it actually says, looking at the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? So, you know, if you sort of think about how that, that dynamic, you've got three people and you're looking, I'm looking at you and I'm saying to the other person, do you see Danielle? Uh, how can you not? But he actually could because he's blinded by his prejudices you know she's not a woman she's a sinner or a prostitute or whatever she whatever she is and and, and I and, and I think that just sort of because to me um Christianity is about about the unconditional that's that's what Derrida called it you know it's 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 about the unconditional call and the unconditional response you know where where you you love with no return where you forgive with no with no price where you um you can't quantify and you don't ask why you just it's just unconditional and yeah. that's very that's very very difficult because you know we always want to condition everything you know eat your vegetables you can have dessert <laughs> you know what i mean and i understand you know there are certain occasions maybe when when it's called for but but and maybe when it comes to like eating vegetables before you get your you know chocolate cake but but i think in the larger scheme of life um it gets very complicated and sad when and we all do it i mean and i still do it you know i mean i you, i still judge and label people i mean I, i'm brutal because yeah. you know I'm, i can be caustic and sarcastic and cynical you know really well i do those things really good so, you know, I can, but, but, but in the larger sense, there, there's this need to see people for, for what they are, which is, even if they're assholes, and there are a lot of assholes in the world, yeah, sure, yeah. Yep, a lot there of floated to the surface of our respective cultures at the moment, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> are, throwing, are throwing their crap around like nobody's business. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, and and it's very difficult to 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 sort of look with compassionate. Uh, but I, I try and remember. I mean, a few years ago, I I, was, I got a phone call from from this guy from it was from a 
some Christian magazine and they were doing a thing on leadership values. And they said, you know, do you, can you give us one uh, value that you live by? And I said, um, yeah, I'm trying to not be as big an asshole today as I was yesterday. And there was a little bit of silence and the guy said, that's really good, but I don't think we can use it. <laughs> but I meant Why it. not? It's simple. But, Very but simple. I, I, I meant it because I know, I, I know what I can be, but, but I, that's not my aspiration. But, but I'm also aware of the contradictions and the complexities of what it means to be human. Yeah, you know the monster within. Yeah, right. And yeah. and everybody's got one, you know, and nobody's yeah. perfect and, and everybody's got their their stuff. And and that doesn't that also doesn't mean that I don't think things should be addressed. I, I, I do think that, you know, yeah. that's not a get out of jail free card for people. I, I I mean I do I do think sometimes things have to be called for what they are in, in very serious ways and, and that 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 demands action and protest and, and all those things, you know doesn't mean you have to, uh, you know, in a world without peace to say um, peace is, it's not enough. You have to, you, you have to act to see peace realized. But yeah, that, that story, um, I've never, again, it's another one of those little things in life that you don't shake or, you know, it just sticks with you. And, and that was really why I, I, I saw, that was, the kind of thing that I was trying to say in, in the whole book really was that I, I, I don't view life as this big overarching thing, but it's just all these little bits and pieces that sometimes have profound significance. And, and when you sort of separate it from everything else, it's not even that much. I mean, that, that story is probably the most important encounter of my entire religious experience, if you want to know the truth. Wow. I would say that if, if I was going to sort of summarize it, it would probably be that story was the most impactful on, on me all the way around. The conviction One, to see a person and not the label and to see the humanity. And that, and that was a funny thing because that's actually what I was on the hunt for in the first place. I got sort of waylaid by religious baggage um, but what I really wanted was I wanted to be um, a deeper, a deeper, richer human being. And I wanted to treat people with uh, the dignity and respect that human beings deserve for actually making it through the day. Which is what I thought Christianity was supposed to be geared towards as well. But it turns Good. out... Not so much. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Well, no. I mean, yeah, it gets complicated for sure. It's because, again, because we want conditions. It's like, you know, if you say, well, it's just all about love. And they go, well, it can't just be all about love. You know, there has to be love. Well, I don't know, actually, because uh, I, I think the, the simpler you make it, the more complex the more complex it actually becomes, you know, the more you reduce it down to one or two things, um, the harder it is. You can, you can distract yourself by making um, a business out of conditions. I agree. I agree. So we go from labels 
And <laughs> you had mentioned that, you know, of course we should speak out against things. Yeah. Now there's a line that you quote Bruce Springsteen on. Sometimes we have to learn to tolerate that which we can't rise above. And that really struck me because that's something that I've heard before in, in a different way as well. And yeah. it's really hard to hold on to that and want to actualize that when, especially in the United States right now, we have going on what we have going on. We have Black Lives Matter protests. We have clashing of yeah. different advocates and protesters. We have police brutality. We have Trump. We have all of these things going on right now, this chaos, yeah. which I'm hoping will lead us to something a little bit more organized and evolved. But what what would be your recommendation for that? Like taking that verse or that quote from Springsteen, yeah, well, I, I, how I think, do we? Well, I, I think in some ways, um, if I'm not mistaken, Springsteen was talking about kind of, in, in a kind of personal way, sort of, you know, coming to terms with the fact that, because um, I think he, he also said, you sort of have to learn to deal with your own darkness. Yeah. You know, to realize that you you've got, You've got that. And, and I think that the, the fine line is that I, I don't see that as um, uh, an escape clause for not uh, acting against things that diminish the world. And, yeah. I, and I, I think that, and, and I, it's funny, I, I, I think that we live in a time that really calls for a level of social and cultural action like never before from people who've not really done those things before. I, I mean, I really do. And I think that can be done without just getting into a slanging match with, yep. with, with somebody. It, it, it's, you know, it, it's what you act for as much as what you stand uh, uh, against you know you can you, you can say you know uh, I'm behind Black Lives Matter until you're blue in the face but it will, I, how how are you are you just a sort of ally or actually are you gonna do what you know roll up your sleeves and get involved and see if you can help make make things more just and you, you know what I mean it doesn't mean yeah. you have to like rant about um the other the other side of the equation and get caught up in you know because it's not really a I, I mean there there are contradictions in 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 life in in everything and I, and I think we sort of have to realize that life is full of contradictions and mm-hmm. and, and I, I mean to be honest I, I think that's Trump's big mistake he, he's always trying to go well you know they, they try and get him to, uh, and I don't mean to get political, but you know, they, they want him to say he's against white supremacy. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, the left's got a problem too. You know, well, yeah, that, but that's, that's not the issue. That's the contradiction. You know, there are contradictions there, but you kind of have to go, yeah, but, but racism, <laughs> the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. there's problems uh, on, on the left, on the right, in the center and everywhere. But I, I, I do think, and but it, we also have to sort of realize that things don't get solved on uh usually on the grand scale yeah agreed. You know, it's like usually it's on on 
the micro scale, like one step at a time. It's like, you know, I mean, I, I, I sort of came of age in the brand of Christianity that was all about, you know, the reaching the whole world for God, you know, that whole, you know, we're going to reach the whole world and stuff like that. It's like, well, sure. But what about just your neighbor? Yeah. Like, you know, three or four, three or four people that actually their lives are, are enriched because you're in it. Yeah. I sometimes wonder if it, we overwhelm ourselves with the great concern of the, you know, the earthly collective. We take ourselves outside of a circumference of like actual impact and just burden ourselves with concerns and worries. And I just think, okay, but, and was it what, I can't remember who said it, but it was like, if you can't make it work inside your house, Mm. you got no business trying to make it work outside the world. And so for me, that's just a reminder to pull in close. And like, for instance, if I'm advising other people about erotic embodiment, but I'm not advising the people that I live with about it, what am I doing? Right. And so we often think we have to help this group or this person was impacted over here on this other side of the world. And I'm all about charity for people. But I think when was the last time you extended your hand to your neighbor or even to your spouse or to your adult child or somebody where you were like, and also I can put this energy here and this is an impact that will change the world and that will have a ripple effect. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we can have this sort of grand desire for global transformation, you know, and we can want that. And I, and I think we should want those things, you know, you know, mm-hmm. for, for, for those stuff. And I think we, we should do what we feel we can to help that. But I think also think that it's local transformations that in a sense have a ripple effect in that regard. So again, it's holding those things in, in, in a little bit of tension, but, but the idea that, you know, it's always, well, what's the big plan? Well, really it's like, what's the little plan? Yeah. You know, and that's the one that always gets, that's like the stone in your shoe. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? That's, that's the, I mean, a years ago, Sorry, I don't know if we're waffling too much, but years ago in this uh, community that I was involved in, we decided that we were sort of over sermons and stuff. And so we decided that instead of getting together on Sundays, and we were still getting together on Sundays and and having somebody like preach a sermon, we were all going to pick one verse from the Bible and live that verse out for a year. And every week we got together, we'd all talk about how that was going nightmare year really well yeah because i picked love your enemies Uh. (laughs) you go go big oh i love my enemies how hard can that be if all i gotta do is love my enemies well then you suddenly realize wow a lot of people don't like me and the problem (laughs) is i like them even less so now what? (laughs) how do you love someone that you can't stand (laughs) you know and it's like Actually, you can't. You just have to learn to tolerate them. But, but no, but my point is, is that the lesson in all of that was we reduced it all down. And, and it was the same pretty much for all of my friends that were involved. It's like, geez, if we'd had another year to think, we'd have picked something vaguer, like, you know, like, 
weep over the city or something. You know? I don't know. I don't know what it would be. Or, or like take a cup of water to a beggar. I don't know. We'd have picked something, you know, get drunk, you know, because in Proverbs it says, let the poor get drunk to forget their troubles. So we'd have all been drinking and been fine. But, but instead we all went big, you know, with the big themes and then came face to face with our inability to act in a, in a kind of local way like that. It was brutal, brutal. My goodness. Yeah, I don't think I could do that especially loving my enemies. My husband works with two of my enemies, his dad and brother. And <laughs> like literally in my yard, in my yard, we live on the main farm site where they operate. And it is <sighs> like today I was like, honestly, I was like hanging laundry. There's some drama going on with my husband and them right now because it's the end of the season and nobody wants to do it the other right. person's way. And I'm honestly out there going, how do you pray for a motherfucker like this? Like, I don't, how God, how, like what, right? Like I can't right now. Cause I don't even, where did the word didn't come from? And that would be my struggle because there are some people where I'm like, I'm not God. So I don't have to, you know, like I can't yeah. love you like that, but it, it, it's the challenge too. And I mean, for a long time, I was getting beat up pretty good because I was willing to love Trump the enemy and go, now, wait a minute. Let's look at this. Let me play devil's advocate. And then that gets you caught up in that whole label and identification. And what really sucks is when I'm trying to apply some kind of Bible verse over towards, and that applies to Trump, people are like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't apply to Trump. And I'm like, but, uh, yeah. well, if we can't learn to see the human in Trump, how am I supposed to? And I mean, it is hard. So we go back to that. A lot of people have much stronger opinions against Trump than I do. Yeah. And so again, how do you do that? How do you love the enemy? <laughs> yeah. One, one day at a time? Yeah, maybe never. I mean, I, maybe I don't know. Never. I mean Yeah. I mean that's I mean I, I I kind of I mean there are lots of people I just don't like. Yeah. I'm and then the question is do we have to love them then? If they're not in our proximity. I don't think you do. And yeah. uh, uh, and 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 I but there again, I don't, you know, I also don't think I have to spend all of my time uh, therefore arguing about why they shouldn't. I'll, yeah, just, true. I'll just, I'll just withhold it. Yeah, and, you know, true. I mean, ah, yeah, I mean, politics right now is complicated. It so, is. But I mean, I, I mean, Britain is mired in its own madnesses as well you know and this it's it's these are troubling times that this kind of rise of populism and nationalism and kind of this kind of nostalgia for a, a world that never really existed anyway that benefits some people at the expense of others that, that actually undermines the whole idea that we've been living with for a while you know it's it's very worrying and you know and we don't really talk about, there's no real discourse anymore. There's just, yeah. you know, everybody gets really primal. It's like, you know, Neanderthal. Yeah, it really you know, is. And, 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 I, and I, I completely, I, I completely, under, I mean, I have very strong opinions. I mean, I grew up essentially uh, a left-wing socialist and I've mm -hmm. left my whole life. And uh, that doesn't mean that I think the left has all the answers, but I'm not a big fan of, uh, you know, 
the rich doing okay and everybody else getting screwed over in the name of uh, profit. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And all the yeah. stuff that goes with it. And, and, and I think it's reached this apex where just things have been, that have been simmering have just been unleashed by ignorance, you know, not just, I mean, I'll say this, I, I, I have more of a problem with the Republicans than I even do with Trump. Trump is Trump. I, I, I mean, I don't know whatever, you know, I mean, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say and nothing to say that I think is of any value, but the desperate willingness to hold on to power at the expense of actually having a, a conscience, that worries me. Mm. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we'd be talking about sex. <laughs> <laughs> we can move along to that. Actually, actually, there is something that I wanted to, um, it kind of struck me and I was like, uh-uh, I don't agree, but hold on. <laughs> um, and it's fine, but it was just interesting. So um, it, you wrote, any and all sexual encounters are ultimately an encounter with ourselves. And I love that. I totally yeah. agree. Um, but I was wondering, so you said that, okay, where was it? It was the desire thing. It was Alan Baidu. Baidu? Yeah, yeah. Love focuses on the very being of the other, on the others. It has erupted fully armed with its being into my life that it is consequently disrupted and refashioned that really stuck out to me um because that's kind of like where i'm at right now is this other oriented kind of understanding that even in desire your desire is not necessarily for yourself it's always other oriented because without you or without other there is no you kind of that whole jean-luc marion yeah. ideology yeah i mean I, I, you know, I mean, my, my, my opinion on all, all this stuff, to be honest, changes a lot. I, I think, well, I, I think two things. I, 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 I think that quite often our desire is misplaced. How so? In that I think we um, project what we deeply desire onto onto somebody, but the desire that we actually have is deeper. It goes beyond that person. Mm. It's desire for something more than just the other. It's a sort of desire for, a, a, like Lacan, the psychoanalysis said that, you know, there is no sexual relation. That, that in, a, in, in a, an encounter between two people, um, there, there's something more going on than what's between those two people and what's between those two people is actually almost an obstacle to what they're both trying to get at, mm. which is that we have desire and we, pl we put our desire on things that actually, if you like, are a little bit of an obstacle to our desire, but we can't really get that desire anyway. I think it's complicated, I guess is what I'd say. So, so the other is sort of like... <laughs> that oh, the other person doesn't uh, matter. Uh, and, and, and I wouldn't want you to think that that's what I'm... Oh, uh, no, I'm, no, I don't think that. I, I, I just think that uh, there's an awful lot of projection when it comes to um, 
how we interact with people. And, and I think particularly when it comes to um, sexual desire, because it's so, in, in, in so many ways, culturally shaped and then personally mm -hmm. lived out, mm -hmm. that it's almost like you're um, screening uh, uh, your own sexual movie onto another person. And they become, to some degree or another, um, a respondent to that, that, you know, because you've, I mean, and, and I'm talking about this in, the, in, in terms of relationships. So it, 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 it's not like they're a blank canvas. You're obviously projecting that onto them because something about them, whether it's chemistry, physicality, intellect, you know, the combination of all those things that make someone appealing to us, um, mm -hmm. they become part of the the picture i just think the desire sort of bleeds beyond the canvas of that thing that's kind of what i was trying to get at i think i'm not sure that i, I was you know it, i mean i read a lot of philosophy but i'm always a bit reluctant to kind of quote philosophers though because there's always the world of ideas that yeah. is in that sort of paragraph but but i do think that desire is a very and and i think we live in a world where desire false desire is what dominates because we live in a mediated world uh, a world of marketing and advertising we've been schooled to one the mimetic desire that we're influenced by maybe too uh, yeah you know all the desire yeah. that kind of we're told that we you know this is the way we should be wanting things. And, mm -hmm. and we, we react to those even when we think we're not. So yeah. I, th I think in some ways it was, really, it, it was really more trying to say there's more to this than meets the eye. Yeah. And no, I like that actually, though, that it kind of like bleeds over the canvas in that, and I think Marianne says something like this too, in that desire then essentially resituates itself as desire again. It's never actually fully satisfied. Yeah. Which is yeah. why, which is why I think, in some ways, um, monogamy can be problematic. Mm -hmm. For uh, not for everybody, but for some people, you, you, yeah. you know. What I mean? And yeah. and and the whole working out of our, our sexual desires, especially when it gets constrained and limited by kind of. Um, naive prescriptions that actually yeah. like like i said to you earlier i'm going to be teaching this class about sex and stuff and and starting with the whole dynamic of purity culture and abstinence in christianity and you know i mean saint augustine basically said that you know desire was the enemy of his spiritual growth and that you know um adam and eve they're they're their sin wasn't sex. Sex was the punishment for their sin. Mm. If you want to know how fucked up Christianity is, you go back 1500 years and you have the, the initiation of um, uh, a negation of desire and physicality and intimacy and, yeah. and, and sexuality. And you go, oh, well, I'm not a Christian or I'm not this, I'm not. But, but the history of Western sexuality is rooted in Judeo-Christian concepts about the body. And, yeah, and the split from the body, from the spirit. Body. And, and desire 
was one of the first things to go. And now we live in a culture where essentially we're fed false desire all the time. And yet we think we know what we want all the time. And my theory is we really don't. And that's what happens in people in a relationship. They get in a relationship and they see this person and they think it's the answer to their, their deepest desire. And it isn't because that's not what happens between people. We're not the answer to our deep desires. We're human beings who have to work out our shit together. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And that, no, and that, it's that, true. We, that, yeah. I mean, that, that, there's beauty in that. And, that, and that, that's one of the, the great aspects, again, of, uh, of being human. But, but, but I think it's, yeah, it's just, I, I guess in, on one level, it's just, it's, compl- it's complicated. Well, you know, you deal with, <laughs> you deal with people. It is. It's very complicated because we don't understand our desires or we're ashamed of our desires or we're scared of them or they're socially constructed desires, like you pointed out. And even when we are given permission to satiate those desires, we're still hungry. Like we're still hungry for something. Like I can admit to that too. Like, you know, it's funny is I tripped over the weekend. Like I dropped acid for the very first time on Saturday with my son and um that's so interesting like microdosing um no it was a full tab it was amazing and um the funniest thing was like you know my my son and his girlfriend were here and my husband was like watching me and everybody was just waiting for this big thing and they kept going so 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 you know how is it and i was like it's amazing like i feel everything like i feel everything but I was hungry and thirsty beyond belief. It was like I had unlocked something because I usually, I'm so busy. Sometimes I don't eat, but I drink water like nonstop. But that was like this overarching like repetition in my head was why am I so hungry and thirsty? I'm so hungry and thirsty. And I had to jot all these thoughts down while I was doing this too, because I wanted to like document it. And it just kept coming back to me that that's like, what we're all dealing with is this hunger, but we don't know how to satisfy it. And we're so thirsty and hungry for something and we don't know what. And if we say, I don't know what, then now we don't even know ourselves or what we want and how dare we. Yeah. Although, I mean, you know, I've got, I'm quoting another Lacan quote, but you know, Lacan talks about the fact that, you know, the, 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 the central issue with at the heart of us is lack mm-hmm. that we're dealing with is lack a lack that can't be satisfied and i think this is where my beef with um like well-being and happiness industry lies because it mm-hmm. promises satisfaction it's my big problem with with um christianity is that it promises satisfaction and a we don't actually know what will truly satisfy i don't think and b i don't think we can achieve full satisfaction and i think we have to come to terms with um the the lack at the heart of what it means to be human you know you know what i mean actually and and we we live all of our life with with all the stories that we tell ourselves that the the attempt to fill up that 
that that lack. And I, and I think one of the interesting things um, about um, LSD, you know, or acid or, or, or whatever, you know, this mind altering drugs is they kind of do expose the, the narrowness of our rationales for existence, you know, the way we, I mean, I don't think you can live in a permanent state of, you know, tripping. Um, it probably wouldn't be great, but, no. um, <laughs> but, but it's a really interesting way to realize the, the constructs that we live by um, are way more porous and uh, incomplete than we um, imagine. And, um, and yeah, you know, I mean, we are hungry and, and, thirsty and, and and you know that can get i mean i think that's probably where sometimes addiction comes from you know you, you can't name that hunger and thirst you just know you're hungry and thirsty you just keep gobbling stuff up mm -hmm. and trying to um to satiate it and 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 i and i don't think at the end and this and maybe this comes all the way back around to that whole thing about darkness and melancholy is there is like this lack at the heart and and to come to terms with that is actually a healthy thing it's a healthy thing i think to be able to go yeah i'm not going to be fully satisfied because i don't think that's what the business of life is all about but at the same token um the more i become aware of that the more satisfying things become because yeah. they don't achieve final fulfillment yeah you know what i mean i don't know yeah Maybe that's yeah cool. well yeah and what if the point of coming here is to experience dissatisfaction because maybe we're always satisfied <laughs> on the other side you know welcome to planet earth yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, you know, there is dissatisfaction in, in in life and nobody said i mean it it can only be privilege to presume that we're above satisfaction i mean half the world is trying to scrape enough together yeah. to eat on, on a day we're, we're so without getting too you know we're we're so fortunate to have what we have Absolutely. even have what we think we deserve or want or stuff like that but um there's an awful lot of people who go through life without the opportunity to, to even think about their level of satisfaction because they're just trying to stave away starvation, you know, yeah. level of hunger or, or thirst. But yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting that that, I mean, I, I actually took quite a lot of LSD when I was younger and um, I always found it kind of a fascinating um, experience in, in, in what rises up. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's great too, I think, when, you know, because I mean, there's a lot of language around, you know, drugs like there is around religion, you know what I mean? And it's almost yeah. like experience then, I think I, I might have written about that there or somewhere else, but, you know, um, the, the language sometimes sets you up to think that it should happen like this. But sometimes, you know, if, if you just let it be what it is, you make discoveries about yourself, you know, and uh, they don't have to have any importance to anybody else but you, you know, I mean, you don't have to yeah. see God. You just have to know how thirsty you are sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I like that.
Yeah. Well, and I think I was hoping to see God. Like I asked, my son had done it a couple of weeks ago. It was so funny. He texted me. He's like, hey, ma, got any tips on, on LSD? And I was like, nope, I am virgin to that still. And he's like, wait, you are? And he's like, okay, well, I'm tripping right now. So you got any advice? And I was just like, be safe, make smart decisions, say hi to God. And he was really bummed he didn't see God. And so that was the one thing he kept asking me, do you see God? Do you see God? And I just said, I see God in all of you. What are you talking about? God's right yeah. here. Well, it's interesting how, <laughs> well, it's very interesting, you know, in, in, in like the counterculture in the 60s and 70s when, you know, acid first became sort of popular and broke out of, you know, institutional environments. It was all about consciousness raising and finding God and becoming one with the universe and stuff. And the opposite end of the spectrum is now, you know, with microdosing and stuff like that, it's all about, you know, medical activity. Yeah. Well, it's all about dealing with anxiety and panic and even, you know, issues around um, death and stuff like that. And, and I think probably it's a little bit of, of, of both that, that, that you need. You know, they're both languages that, that, that shape it. But I think you can always be open to uh, a bigger experience than just coping with anxiety. But also sometimes that, that's a big enough, big enough help too. Yeah. Know. And it's, I think I've heard too, it's being used to treat PTSD. Yeah. And so, and I mean, why I... I can't remember if I read about this or not, but the idea came to me while I was on it was this could be the next female Viagra. I'm just putting it out there. It was incredible um, in well, that area. They, well, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that you, I mean, the interesting thing about, you know, intoxicants of all kinds is they, they loosen up your boundaries and your borders. I mean, yeah. And uh, that's that can be a really helpful thing as well, which I think is why microdosing for things like anxiety and panic, because they're quite often rooted in a need to sort of control the uncontrollable yeah. and yeah. the awareness that you're not in control, but it's going to be okay. You know, you can be cocooned and feel safe and stuff, but but also liberated in in your body. I mean, I think I think. I, I took quite a lot of drugs. I was a bit of a druggie when I was younger. <laughs> what? I, you, I mean, you were with ACDC. You took drugs? That's so unheard of. <laughs> funny is they were not druggies. Yeah. They, 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 in fact, I sort of had to lie to get the job because they didn't want people doing drugs around them. Well, Angus it's very drug. responsible. Angus, the guitar player, is a teetotaler. Yeah. And, uh, the rest of them, I mean, there were, there were issues, but it was mostly around drink, and I'm not a drinker. But what I was going to say was I, I took a lot of drugs, and I, and I think it was because I, I just wanted to feel a little bit looser in life, and I was very inhibited emotionally when I was uh-huh. younger. You know, just that, that kind of fear, insecurity about how people perceive me and I just wanted to be a little more um funnily enough I wanted to be in my body more even though sense supposedly get you out of your body but I actually found I was in my body more more aware um yeah I was aware of everything 
I just, yeah. and I wanted everything to touch me. And I could like, when I laughed, it was like, I could feel everything in my face, sure. but the liberation thing, it was like, my laughter was liberated. I, I said what, exactly what was on my mind and I didn't have to worry about what I was saying. It's, it was a phenomenal experience that, I mean, I don't understand why they withhold from people, but then at the same turn I do. Because I think we're easier to control when we're all angry and divided. And if we're all happy and liberated and, and, and well, connective, you know, then we're like, fuck you. We ain't listening to you. We're good. Bye. <laughs> get everybody to drop acid in the world. It would be a better place. Thank you. I know. Or smoke cannabis every day. It's like, do it, guys. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And have sex all the time. There you go. Make the world a happy place. <laughs> as long as it's good sex. <laughs> Well, actually, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a little LSD would make all sex good sex. So there you go. <laughs> Two yeah. birds, one stone. That's <laughs> <laughs> your own your horizon in your work. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. And I also have to pee. So, <laughs> Barry <laughs> Taylor. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for your book. Um, amazing contribution. And I just, I really appreciate your perspective and your words and your art, by the way. Thank you so much. It was lovely to meet you and lovely to chat. Well, you take care and hopefully we can chat again. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Bye-bye.